That was a little bit of the musical stylings of Stan the Compost Man Slaughter. Stan is a Kansas City-based artist and educator who's been traveling the country as the eco-troubadour for over 30 years. Stan helped create the very first Earth Day celebration in Kansas City. He speaks at master gardener groups, teaches composting workshops, sings his environmental music at water festivals and zoos, and is extraordinarily educated in the world of soil microbes and what they can do for our gardens and our Earth. Stan has a passion for life and for this planet, and he loves sharing that passion with others through songs and talks. I'm excited to have him on the podcast today. We talk a little bit about his background, share some of his awards and honors, including an invitation from His Royal Highness Prince Charles, and Stan gives us some advice on creating and managing our own backyard compost piles and even composting in a basement. So I invite you to sit back and enjoy my interview with Stan Slaughter. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. Well, Stan, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Just Grow Something podcast. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you today. Your bio says that you are an escaped science teacher, um, and I know you have a master's degree in biology, and that you are currently the director of education for Missouri Organic Recycling, which just so happens to be where we get all of our compost from for the farm every year. Um, but you've spent the last 30 years um, presenting musical programs on composting and reducing waste and other environmental issues. But I read that much of this bend toward educating people on composting was born of a need to protect your water source from pollution. And so you researched and built your first composting toilet. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, if you're an organic person, you know about Rodale and uh, Rodale Press. And at one point, they had a pretty active and widespread of books. And one of the books was by Carol Stoner, which was called Goodbye to the Flush Toilet. So ben said, you can tell the measure of a civilization by what they do with their waste or how and if they create waste. And so um, this is a pretty serious look at it. And it was, you know, large designs for large uh, vault type toilets that retain the material for two years. And uh, at that point, it's been exposed to air so long 
that there's no disease. It's, it's basically dirt and uh, no more bacteria in it than there is in soil. This was the design that I came up with was a, a smaller barrel type toilet. And I built a little three steps to a you know, platform to get up to the top of the barrel and put a lid on top with an airtight seal and let's air go in the bottom, come up through the composting mass and then up out a four inch pipe. So the flies gather about 12 feet in the air. <laughs> it was a hoot. And uh, so, yeah, 65% um, of the mass of a compost pile disappears into the air as carbon dioxide. And so if you've got a hot compost pile, it's you fill it and it shrinks and you fill it and it shrinks. It happens a lot. And that means that uh, it's not going to fill up right away. And uh, we had four people using it and it you know, gained about six inches over the whole summer. So, um, wow. So, I mean, so where was this? When was this? This was in the hottest summer on record in Arkansas, uh, summer of 1980. We were homesteading on the hillside in a camper trailer <laughs> and uh, waiting, building, our, building our house and a uh, back to the land homestead in Arkansas. But less than 10% of Arkansas is suitable for a flush toilet. Three quarters is rocky and the other half is swampy. And uh, there's no place for water to percolate effectively into soil and then be absorbed. It mostly, you know, if the water table is too high, the bacterial pollution goes straight out into the water. And if it's all rocks, it doesn't work either. Right, right. So were you already, were you already teaching at this time? Um, my teaching, I, I actually burned out of science teaching and decided to go down to the Ozark. Oh, okay. 18 months of R&R. &R. But uh, yeah, I had, by that time I had uh, 11 years in the classroom. Okay. And so after you got done, you decided that you were burned out of teaching and you escaped from it, as you say. You uh, Was that when you started with being uh, more of a sort of an educator of a different style by doing the, the, the singing and the eco troubadour, you know, entertaining people through songs about composting? Well, I was, I was in a band in college and we were pretty serious and played around Kansas City area quite a while and, and cut a record and did a bunch of stuff. But uh, I was in a, an environmental conference in 1986 and the guy was playing songs and he was pretty effective, but he was, you know, I said, I'm better than this guy today, you know, <laughs> and I've had six years off or eight years off or whatever, you know, and so uh, that started it, met some friends who, who were environmental musicians, started meeting more environmental musicians as I traveled and uh, collecting those songs, I guess I steal the best and write the rest. So I stole their songs and wrote the rest and put my first album out in 1989. Do you know, I never really, I guess, thought that there was much or many artists that were specific to sort of environmental concerns. I mean, I had kind of the, the folk artists that I sort of listened to in the, you know, 70s and 80s and stuff, but it wasn't anything that was, I mean, it was... The, the message was there, but it wasn't overt. It wasn't as direct. And it wasn't until, you know, I started listening to your stuff and, and seeing you at the markets and, and seeing what you were doing that I realized that there actually are a lot of people out there who do this type of, of work. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I, uh, I went to a lot of conferences, uh, networked with, with artists. My, a lot of my songs are anthologies of North American environmental music. I consider myself the unofficial curator. North America, <laughs> environmental music. I donated 70 albums, Earth Day Radio, which is a uh, internet radio station that just plays nothing but environmental music. The next stage came in the early 90s when basically uh, 
as you, you may know, Missouri passed a law in 1990 that set up a a waste reduction strategy and said, in 1992, everybody get ready. Uh, here comes this law and it's going to ban tires and batteries and appliances from landfills. And by the way, all yard waste. And Kansas City had 40% of all the trash in the fall was black plastic bags full of leaves. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 40% wow. of the entire landfill volume being the tree city that we were. And, uh, but then I was, attending the waste reduction meetings and uh, said, we need somebody to go out to schools and teach them about composting. And everybody went, look at me. <laughs> so that's how that got started, going around and, and doing the singing and the, and the presenting for, for kids and adults everywhere, really. Right, right. Well, it was uh, the city of Kansas City, Hallmark Foundation, and... Kansas City Power and Light, here's some money, more than I'd ever made as a teacher in a single year, to go out and do, ended up to be 238 public appearances in my first year. Everything from the, you know, the Lions Club fried chicken dinner to the, you know, to the garden club, to the flower lawn and garden show where you spend seven days under the mercury vapor lights. And come out. Yeah, that'll cook you. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I actually, that's where I learned a lot because I, I, I took Croft Trailers, a big company in Kansas City, and they, they volunteered to build me a 16-foot dual-axle compost trailer uh, with the stairs on the side and a drop-down tailgate and live compost bins in the front. And oh, neat. Different, different examples of compost enclosures on the thing. And a big banner said, the composters. And uh, it was pretty cool outfit. We would roll up to the school and flip out on the stairs and flip down the tailgate and People would walk through and yeah, I traveled to that trailer for about six years. Wow. Around the Midwest. That's really, that's really cool. It was fun. Yeah, that's really cool. So you had been singing for kids and adults, you know, across the U.S. eventually. You were, it wasn't just Kansas City. It was, it was in what, 27 different states that you traveled to to do this? You know, yeah, it's not and... over yet. I, I could get a few more, but virtually, I'm doing it virtually now. Oh, is... okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, there you yeah. go. Virtual is awesome. You know, but at some point you actually had thought about slowing down a little bit and focusing um, more on your own gardening when something um, extraordinary happened. Tell me about your invitation from His Royal Highness Prince Charles to present at Highgrove Gardens in 2016. Well, in August of 16, uh, I had decided to slow it down a little bit. I threw myself a retirement party. <laughs> I nominate myself for the awards I win. You know, you got to do this stuff. There's no publicity agent. I threw myself a gold watch party. Nice. Because it was not going to be any gold watch either. Right. So uh, <laughs> all my friends came and we talked about it. And I said, well, that's great. I was really enjoyed it. The state of Kansas hired me for 17 years to travel the state and teach composting. And I said, that was a great career. Now what I'd like to have is a crowning achievement to my career. And that was in August. And in the uh, second of November, we got an email from Highgrove Garden in England. It says, send us your mailing address and we'll, we'll invite you. Interesting. And for my listeners who don't know, Highgrove Gardens is a fabulous demonstration center that the Prince of Wales has built to showcase basically the very best concepts of energy efficiency and rare breed conservancy and endangered species and all kinds of environmental sustainability. So this is a big deal. Right. Yeah. It's huge. 
the royal, royal family cannot be there with other people. There are security rules. We didn't go in his house, but we went on his front porch in the backyard. Right, right. <laughs> uh, we got got to go all around and see, you know, the facilities back backstage of of uh, this Highgrove Gardens, and uh, they invited other than me. I was uh, only North American. The speakers were the hosts of the British Gardening Show. You know, if you think HGTV is big in America, it's crazy. The speakers that they would get to hear were people they saw on TV every week. Uh, then they got British high tea on Royal China. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and a beautiful tent full of high grove garden merchandise and swag um, that you could buy. So anyway, that was a big draw. 3,600 people in five days paid $150 to come to this place. And all the other presenters just had to drive across England, which isn't as big as Missouri, you know. So what happened was we got this invitation and we found out from the florist who did the coronations and the christenings and all their stuff. And he said, I was sitting behind Christine when she got your email, given your mailing address. And she said, oh, shit, he's an American. <laughs> That's what well, my right. website is Compost Education. It's been up there for 20 years. So they sent me the invitation, you know, and we, then we realized when you get invited by the prince, that's what you got was the invitation. You don't get no ticket. You don't get no stipend. And, and what happens is, you know, all these people get the honor of the invitation. So there was no stipend or anything else. My little daughter-in-law said, uh, you can't pass this. This is never going to happen again. And go ahead and uh, get on GoFundMe. And by the time I had gotten down through tea in my Rolodex, writing personal letters to all my friends, I had enough money to go for 11 days. We got to go over there. I gave a speech called The Alchemy of Composting, how two plus two equals nine if you let it. And uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, it looks good on the resume for sure. Once heard someone say a podcast is like a garden. The gardener puts in the effort, but everybody benefits. I think that's pretty accurate. This podcast is a labor of love, and I hope that every one of you is reaping the benefits. If you get lots of great information from this podcast and would like to support it monetarily, you can do that by becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month over on Patreon. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting this and every episode of the Just Grow Something podcast, and if you'd like to join them, go to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething. The link is in the show notes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So if we talk about the subject of compost, you say that compost is at the center of a whole slew of issues from sustainability and climate change, organic food and gardening, and like even saving water through composting toilets. Why compost? What is it about compost that puts it at the center of this web of issues? It completes a lot of loops of you know, natural cycling. Nature doesn't really start to produce healthy plants until there's 5% of organic matter in the soil. That's the living stuff that compost is. And uh, 
there's a fire that cooks the soil to death, if there's a mudslide and new, new soil appears, you'll get the weeds. And they're the first ones creating a lot of biomass, dying and rotting. When it gets up to about 5%, plants have enough food available for them at their root tips that they can afford to flourish and put out really good crops. Healthy soil creates a healthy living ecosystem with bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, and fungi cycling nutrients and creating subtle chemistry, secondary metabolites that plants need to be really healthy. It's a center of a lot of things and the water quality compost holds up to eight times its weight in water. If you raise the organic matter content of soil 1%, you'll sequester 22,000 gallons of water more per acre. So when you're talking in terms of like vegetable gardening, you know, when you're, you're adding compost to, to a vegetable garden, you're not only getting the benefits of all of the, the micronutrients and that nutrient cycling, like you said, because it's encouraging all that microbial growth and, and all that microbiota down. And it's also inoculating it. It's, you know, my stuff, you know, Missouri organic makes really good compost. It's been cooked at 160 degrees. And that kind of narrows the population of bugs that can take that heat. And then over time, the cysts and the eggs of those critters come back out as it cools and the pyramid of life broadens and starts to get good. And then you mix it up with the existing fungi and bacteria in the soil. And you've got, you know, in a couple of months, it'll come back into really, but you, you can't plant in it the first day. And that's one of the things about industrial compost. This is, this is homemade, it's made at low temperatures, 120. I'm putting food waste on and leaves and some grass clippings over the whole season. It's going slow. I've got worms in the pile. Worms have been through this pile. They're pooping. This is half worm poop. But if your audience may not know, but uh, a cubic yard of worm manure is worth over $1,000. It's like gold. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of subtleties in that because the inside of a worm is a, is a very rare habitat underground. The shelter, the nutrients that are in there, and amoebas and protozoas live in the gut of the worm. Worms like a mobile Mardi Gras going through the soil. It's a party. <laughs> and there's all this food coming down through there and they're whoa, 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 whoa. And what comes out the back end is got a lot of subtle, powerful nutrients mm -hmm. called auxins and gibberlins. And uh, they build up the growth of the soil. And uh, so anyway, when you make it long and slow like this, and uh, let the worms eat it as much as you can. This takes a whole year. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we make our compost, Missouri Organic makes our compost in, you know, eight weeks. We're, we're, we're working for more curing time, but uh, it's, it's very difficult because it's very seasonal. We sell about five or six or 7,000 cubic yards to growers like you in the metro region and homeowners. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think last year we accounted for probably 60 yards of that. <laughs> we took, I think, three or four, three or four dump loads, you know, dump truck loads on getting ready to order more. And I think that actually bears a little bit of repeating, though, too, because you mentioned, you know, there is a difference between maybe what you're composting, what you're doing as compost at home versus purchasing it as a commercial product, because that commercial product has to be broken down much more quickly in order to be able to have enough 
to be able to supply the demand. But what that means also is you need to give it some time to work. I've talked about this a little bit before where can you take compost and dump it into a raised bed and then plant directly into it? Yeah, sure, you can. Are you going to get fabulous results? No. But if you even wait until maybe the fall and give that a chance to break down and let the microbes go to work and let all that microbiota sort of build up in there and then you plant a fall crop into it, you will absolutely see an astonishing difference. And then the following season, oh, well, there, now you've got your gold. So if somebody is looking to start composting at home because they're okay with that slow process and they maybe don't need it right away, you know, as a home gardener who might be considering starting their own compost pile, there may be some hesitation, especially when they're living in a suburban environment. There's neighbors to consider if there's any kind of an odor. Um, if they also have to worry about critters, you know, that might want to raid the compost pile. So what do you say to somebody who really wants to compost but is a little worried about these and other issues? Well, there's you have a lot of options. The critter problem is, I'm, I'm two blocks from a creek. The father of permaculture named Bill, Bill Mollison, uh, I was I met him and I that's oh. advantage of being old. Uh, I, I met him and said, Bill, what advice would you give us? And he said, go make a whole bunch of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. so I was putting raw food in my compost pile and not covering it up and not protecting it. And what did I get? Possums. It's kind of like those throw the gunny sacks in the corner and you get mice, right? Now this is this is a uh, food waste and possums, but and then I got some pretty rowdy raccoons occasionally but um, i use a wire a three foot high wire fence that's made out of the two inch by four inch squares of of galvanized wire put that up there and i just took a piece of it and made it made a uh, roof on it that that hooks around the edges i lift up and it's hinged in the middle because it's too big to cover the pile so lift up half of it and throw my food in throw the leaves on top also always cover your food you want to Food's 95% water. It's going to lose a lot of moisture. It's going to draw flies right away, whether you've got vectors, rats, and whatever or not, flies will be there. So cover it up immediately. You want to retain the moisture in the pile. So you want to be sure that you are alternating. So if you're throwing food and food waste in there, you want to alternate that with something, whether it's leaves or grass clippings or, or something else on top of it to make yeah. sure that not only is it is it covered, you're not attracting the flies. I'm assuming that would also take care of any maybe foul odors that might start to come about? The carbon in, in general is a absorbent material. And particularly, you know, it's aqueous vapors, you know, watery vapors off that food waste. Well, if you've got it there with an absorbent layer, particularly all my leaves have been chopped before I bag them. And I, I only steal leaves from the finest lawnmowers and, and yard back providers. <laughs> I, uh, you know, if the bag is lumpy and bump, bumpy, that's got sticks in it. Don't go there. You don't want that. Go, okay. for the, go for the bags that are really fat and round and heavy because they've chopped those leaves into lots of little pieces and steal those bags. Okay. <laughs> uh, you get six or seven, maybe 10 bags laying you know, up against the fence behind the wherever, and then slowly feed that in there and uh, use them for mulch. You know, I can't get enough mulch for my raspberries and my asparagus. And that is the problem for home gardeners and other good piece of advice is the idea is, you know, you, <clears throat> you want green and brown, green stuff, nitrogen sources, smell bad, can't be stored. 
ground stuff, fibrous, might even burn, can be stored a long time, but they don't coexist. Mm-hmm. In the summer, you got green. In the winter and fall, you got brown. So how do you, you can't store the green, so store the brown, put them in some bags, put a, put a piece of plywood over the top of them so they don't rot too quickly, and then use them slowly. Uh, leaves are the best because leaves are so high in minerals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can, you can get sawdust. It doesn't breathe very well. It's high in carbon. Never get pine sawdust if you can help it because pine's got the pitch in it. Try and get hardwood sawdust if you, if you got to do that. There's some options. There's something very cool called a green cone. Green it comes cone? From green cone. Okay. And the deal is it's not a composter. It's a food digester. It's about two and a half feet high. It has a double wall all the way around it. It gets really hot, hmm. like an inch inside. There's a black wall. It's, hot, it's green on the outside. Sun shines on it. It gets hot on the outside. And that heat collects in the top of it. It's got a lid on top. And you take your food waste out there and you throw it in there. Meat, cheese, bones, all the stuff you can't compost goes in the hole. And all the food waste, too. And in the hole, below grade, it's like a laundry basket with a lot of holes in it. And uh, it goes down 18 inches. And so you got to dig a hole and get rid of the dirt, put it in there. And what happens is the food goes in here and it breaks down. The water seeps away. You throw the same stuff in it that you throw into your septic tank, the same powder, aerobic material. And it smells like hell in there. But And so you just uh, fill it up and it continues to melt and go away. And what happens is you put it in the middle of your flower bed. And the leachate feeds all the plants around it. And, you know, is there a little plume of organic water, liquids floating downstream from this? Yeah. Is it going to hurt anything? No. But it's a very cool idea. We're doing a grant with the state of Kansas for 50 schools and teaching them how to compost and, and suggesting that they do projects. One teacher got the green cone idea, but she took a tote, a 250-gallon tote, cut the bottom out of it, back behind the school, dug a hole and put the hole, hole down in it and then dug the sides down about this deep so the rats and can't dig into it. She's got this tote with this gigantic amount of capacity and this big footprint. Wow. They're pouring the whole school's food waste in that hole. Wow. Yeah, I've heard of things. There is, you know, like the sub pod where, you know, it's the same kind of concept. You've got this double walled thing and you dig it down in and you just, or you put it into a raised bed and then that, that leachate is feeding Right. You know what's in there. You also are putting worms in there. You've also got the compost tumblers and things like that, which I guess are also yeah. suitable for, for you know, home gutters that are in suburban areas that maybe don't need it. But it sounds like some of these compost more quickly than others. I mean, you, you, these ones that will right. actually heat up are going to be a little bit less passive than what we're used to as far as, you know, a home composting system. But, you know, if people are looking for the easiest and the least expensive way to be able to get started uh, composting in their their own backyard, what would what would you suggest is a great way to just kind of get started? Right. Um, I've been putting mine up on pallets, put a piece of wire on it. If you're gardening anyway, this two by four inch welded wire is kind of tomato trellis, pea trellis, all kinds of fun things you can do with it. And if you get a, a 50 foot roll, it's like $25 and 12 or 15 feet of that will make you a four foot diameter hoop. Mm-hmm. And you can build a lid to go with it. You can put an enormous amount of compost in it because it's going to continue to shrink as it goes. And uh, that's the simplest and the cheapest and one of the most effective ways with a high capacity 
that you can get. I don't advise tumblers. Okay. Uh, if you're a good composter, you can make a tumbler work. Okay, here's the rules. Moisture, 50% moisture. It's, you've got to be able to squeeze a drop of water out of a double handful of compost. If it's not, see, all these organisms are aquatic. They breathe in the moisture on the surface of the wet leaf. And if you don't have any wet leaves and no moisture on the surface, nothing happens. Stan, what's wrong with my pile? Too dry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two, two words, too dry. <laughs> uh, and it's easy, you know, I'm, and I'm right 95% of the time, you know. So it might be necessary sometimes then in the middle of the summer, especially if you live someplace where it is hot, and dry to actually be watering your compost pile if you don't have enough of the kind of green stuff to be putting in there at the time. I had a short New Mexico period and uh, the humidity would get to 5%. You would have nosebleeds from breathing the air. And uh, I completely, I couldn't find a way to make it wet enough to compost in, in New Mexico. So 50% uh, so moisture. Right. Uh, and then, the, of course, the mix, mix of materials, Sure. the green and brown. Okay. And food waste is great. Food waste powers Missouri Organic because it's a year-round green. And then save the browns. You know, yeah, you can put office paper shreds in there and all that stuff, but leaves have much more, much more minerals and a better choice for you. Moisture, materials, and mass. When you're building a compost pile, you want to build an elephant. You want to have a core, you know, if you've got a little pile that's this high, it's a mouse. It can't insulate itself because it's got too much surface area relative to its volume. You want its volume to be so that there's mass. And see, if you turn off the heat in the school building, it'll be five days before it gets below 50 in the winter. It's an elephant. And if you, you know, the mouse is smashed in the trap, you'll be at room temperature in 10 minutes. Mass retains the heat. Right. It's the volume that you need to retain the heat, to shield from those, you know, and compost will create a skin like we have. It'll create an outer layer that's not composting because it's too dry. It's got to be this transition zone from your wet core, nice damp core to this outside ambient dry uh, situation. And then that's why you turn it. Take the wire off, push it all out onto a tarp, put the wire back, and then it's easy to mix it once you've taken it apart. And then water it, moisten it as you put it back together. Moisture, materials, mass, turning, and time. It's not a race. It, it does take time to do it well and do it right. If you if you did it on a fall to fall cycle, in other words, you collect your leaves, you harvest last summer's compost at the end of the season, and then you put it on as mulch, uh, screen it, and save it for houseplants. Even if it's not completely finished, it's okay. Take the skin, throw that back into the new pile. I like to turn it turn it in August or so, mix that skin in. I have a, a place where the robins come to party right at the base of my compost pile because they know they can just pull a little piece of skin out and between those two inch wide pieces, all that is pawed down and the compost is out on the ground around the compost pile because they're looking for worms. So, uh, yeah, those are the things for, for backyarders. If somebody isn't a gardener or, or maybe they're a gardener and they're gardening in maybe a community garden space or whatever, they don't live somewhere where there is a composting service. Should they still be composting in some way? And I mean, if so, and I would assume that the answer would be yes, because we don't want food scraps in our landfills, right? So 
what do you what do they do with that compost at that point or or how do they compost well um i'm looking at three 56 quart blanket boxes that are full of worms and in my basement um i can just bring one of them over here this is the blanket box uh it's food scraps and worms and paper there's no people say oh where'd you get that dirt the answer is there's no dirt in here there's worms and food and paper so all that black is their castings exactly that's garden gold so that can be done in a very small space and so you still have a way to be able to compost and you can use it for just about anything oh man yeah as you know it's it's so valuable and so amazingly rich plant food there's a lady named nicole masters who she wants to bring soils back and enliven them she uses a liter of worm manure in her spray mix per acre wow she makes liquid and she's got She'll use milk. She'll use kelp powder. She'll use uh, all kinds of what I call fairy dust. Right. Stuff that you at such small levels that they're just stimulants. The worm manure at that level will cause worms to reproduce in the soil. So we got these, these are, there's three here, but there's two over here. So there's five in the basement. I still can't get rid of all my, you know, the pineapple husks and the stuff that doesn't compost really, really well, and the bones, and you can't go in these guys. So there's still some food waste with that, but I've got a big compost pile outside. Right, right. And, and I got a dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're down to next to nothing leaving this place, I'll tell you that. And coming soon, if you're living in the city itself, uh, we have uh, food waste curbside collections by now three agencies. Um, there's a company called Compost Connection, which is a big yard waste service that's independent and goes all over the city with 40 trucks. Right. And then there's a Compost Collective, KC.com, which is a five-gallon bucket service on your doorstep, pick up or drop off the five-gallon bucket at places all over the city. And then um, there's uh, another one called KC Can Compost, which was picking up from restaurants and schools and they're now actually starting to do a, a, a curbside service too. Lots of so, ways to, to get rid of our food waste rather than throwing it into the garbage and putting it in the landfill and causing more problems. Exactly. Sure, so, uh, you know, a rind is a terrible thing to waste. A rind. A rind. <laughs> that is fantastic. Thank you very oh, much. That's awesome. Stan, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Um, it's stanslaughter.com. And uh, Stan at stanslaughter.com. I'd be glad to take a question or whatever. Um, I'm uh, working directly right now for Missouri Organic Recycling. And uh, that email is stan at missouriorganic.com. And um, we're at the Brookside Farmers Market once a month. And uh, in good weather, I'm playing. So they can hear more from you, too. That's awesome. Stan, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Well, Karen, I've admired your vegetables and pork and eggs for a long time and uh, um, I had actually no idea that there was a podcast along but I shouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> all you uh, people who want to grow something uh, you're in the right spot. Aw thanks Stan. <laughs> Isn't Stan fun? <laughs>
From composting toilets and environmental music to His Royal Highness Prince Charles and worm poop, I think if there's anything that you take away from our conversation with him today with regards to compost, I would say think about those rules that he mentioned. Moisture, materials, mass, turning, and time. Those are all things that our compost piles need in order to be able to function at their best and be able to put those things back into the environment and close that loop that Stan was talking about. So I hope you enjoyed this episode today as much as I did. And I hope that you will come back again next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about the types of composting systems that you can use to include a couple of the ones that I talked about with Stan today. So in the meantime, my gardening friends, I am going to leave you with a few more musical stylings from Stan the Compost Man Slaughter. I'll talk to you again soon. Touch those leaves and watch them burn. Why we should be the Start now, be an early bird. Get a one. I think it's best for all concerned. If we beat it to the You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash JustGrowSomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.